How are you doing this uh, Tuesday afternoon? Are you well? It's the 11th of January 2022. It's uh, the BBG, me, Richie Allen, live from the BBG Towers facility here in Salford. Nice to be with you, to be with you nice. Let's do the programme then. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now, Tony Gosling will be live from Bristol in around about 25 minutes' time. He's the presenter-producer of The Politics Show, which airs on Fridays at 5 o'clock. It's fantastic. He's an old and dear friend. Don't need to tell you too much more than that about Tony. He's a top man. We met Celeste Solon back in the early part of the scamdemic. Very interesting lady, former FEMA employee, that's Federal Emergency Management Agency. Uh, she is an author and hosts the excellent Celestial Report podcast, does uh, Celeste Solon. She'll be on with me just after six o'clock. So much to talk about with her. And as usual, you can drop me a message through richieallen.co.uk, my website, comment live on the menu bar, leave a comment and chat amongst yourself, yourselves, chat with other listeners, if that's your thing. It's not too shabby. Today, I don't think the show, Tuesday, good day, good day, I had a pair of new trainers today, I unboxed a pair of new trainers, about every 1,000 kilometres, dear listener. Maybe a little bit more. I changed the trainers because I've worn out the soles of them and my feet hurt as I'm pounding the pavement. It's a brand new pair of trainers today. It's like walking on air. Walking around as I was warming up. It felt like I was floating. And then when I was running, well, it felt great. It just felt great, you know. Hey, the news media is consumed by the story of Boris Johnson. That's the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson. And whether or not he okayed a party in the Downing Street Garden on May 20th, 2020. That's right, May 20th, 2020. Funny, they're saying that Johnson and around 30 guests were canoodling in the Downing Street Garden. Apparently, a mandarin. A mandarin. One of his civil, civil, say it again, Baldy. One of his civil servants invited 100 people to come and have some socially distanced drinks on May 20th, 2020. Socially distanced beverages. We've all been working hard. It's very warm. Let's have a few beers. This has pissed people off because you couldn't do that. Well, I know you did. You didn't buy into all of that crap. But the vast majority of people seemingly went along with these rules and regulations. So they're... There's consternation everywhere you look today. About 100 people invited to the Bring Your Own Booze event in the Downing Street Garden. And witnesses are, well, they're dropping Johnson and his wife Carrie in it, saying that they definitely attended this gathering of around about 30 people. Lots of crying on the television today. Genuine tears from people who were prevented from seeing their loved ones when sometimes those loved ones were in hospitals or in care homes and they were dying. And then you had folks who were prevented from attending funerals. 
they're fairly fed up as well. Folks who missed weddings, they're all raging. This is being investigated by senior civil servant Sue Gray. A YouGov poll this afternoon suggests that 57% of voters want Johnson to resign. Angela Rayner, the deputy leader of the Labour Party, has called on him to resign. Everybody is calling on him to resign. But until, at least on, until I came on here anyway, not a dicky bird from the barrel of monkey spunk known as Boris Johnson. So that's it really. Will it do for Boris Johnson? Will it? It's very possible. If it's proven that he attended this party, while Oliver Dowden, that's the hilarious thing about this, Johnson went to this party while he was recovering from being in hospital with COVID himself. And because he was still recovering, the then culture secretary, Oliver Dowden, went on television live from Downing Street to tell people to obey the rules. While about 50 feet away in the garden, Johnson and his pals were yucking it up. Will it do for Johnson? It won't matter. You'll get Dishy, Rishi, Sunak, or not very pretty Patel. Maybe you'll get Heinz Bean for a head, Sajid Javid. It doesn't matter. They are ten a penny. But this story is and was the only game in town today. It did produce a wonderful bit of radio, though. Our pal James O'Brien, don't groan, wait. Wait for it. Wait till I show my hand before you start whinging. You, 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 you selfish. This is wonderful, this. Our pal James O'Brien. Now, I have it on good authority that the comedian and writer Ricky Gervais was listening to this today and shaking his head in admiration and wonderment, asking himself, why didn't he think of this type of thing when he was writing the David Brent character for The Office? O'Brien, James O'Brien of LBC, I would say is about the least self-aware person I have ever come across in broadcasting. O'Brien took it upon himself today to play armchair psychologist and bring us a clinical diagnosis of the Prime Minister's personality. It's, well, it's uh, listen for yourself and make your own mind up. I think on some level, he's aware that he's not like other people. He's aware that he's got no conscience, really. He's aware that he... uh, how could you be aware that you have no conscience? When he, his own teacher said, didn't he, that he doesn't think the rules should apply to him, and he knows on some level that's not right. The conundrum, the contradiction at the heart of Boris Johnson is probably a form of self-hatred. The idea that he doesn't actually want to be like this. He sees other people who care for their loved ones, who manage to... <laughs> Uh, be faithful or manage to make commitments who have at least some concern for the truth who um, sustain proper loyalties proper friendships proper uh, love in their lives and he feels he feels wronged wronged he feels wronged on some level he feels wronged he looks around and he sees other people nice people people with friends people with moral compasses and he doesn't want to be the way he is on some level he's aware of the absolute dastardly bastard that he is and he wants to change, but he can't help it. He wants to be like good people. He feels wronged because he can't be good. He feels... Well? Go on. A victim of injustice. Why can't I feel like that? Why can't I be good? Why, why, why do I find it so easy 
To be bad. He asks himself to ride roughshod over everything that might be described as a value or evidence of integrity. So he asks himself this. Johnson lies awake at night, if you believe O'Brien, asking himself, why do I ride roughshod over everything that's good, that's intrinsically nice and decent and honourable? I bet you Hannibal Lecter is shitting himself right now. Why? And, And he ends up, I think, wanting to denigrate everybody else subconsciously to get them to eat out of his hand in order to prove that on some level they are perhaps as bad as he is. Ah, so he denigrates everybody else because he wants to believe that everybody else is just as bad as he is. Well, Carlsberg doesn't do armchair psychology, but if it did, it wouldn't be anywhere near as good as James O'Brien. What he says next is, well, it's glorious. And then he sucks in their souls. He what? And then he sucks in their souls. He sucks in their souls. And what does he do with them, James? And seals up his bag. He seals up his bag. He... And then he sucks in their souls. And? And seals up his bag. This is the Prime Minister he's referring to now, Boris Johnson. Ah, James, be jeepers. And let's move it on then. What else have you got for us, James? That's all I've got, because there's a 100 people on this invitation list, and it's taken 18 months for the truth to emerge. A <laughs> hundred people. And, how, and, and five days later, Dominic Cummings sat in the Rose Garden and told you that he'd driven to Barnard Castle to test his eyes. That was five days later. That's one mystery solved. That's one mystery solved. The mystery he's referring to is how did Dominic Cummins manage to hang on to his job after he lied through his teeth about driving to Barnard Castle if that's how you pronounce it, um, just to test his eyes when he was driving around the country, gallivanting around the country, while people were unable to see their families in care homes and people were unable to attend funerals. That's James O'Brien. It's wonderful stuff, isn't it? I really mean it. Gervais must be listening to this, thinking, I wish I had thought of that. And then he sucks in their souls. And? And seals up his bag. Wonderful stuff. Absolutely wonderful. On the hoof, that. On the hoof. Off the cuff and on the hoof. James O'Brien there, LBC Radio. The time is ten and a half minutes past the hour. Let's hear from somebody more serious. Let's hear from Professor Sunetra Gupta, Oxford University epidemiologist and one of the authors of the Great Barrington Declaration. She has a different take on the party. Tell us what you think of the party, Professor. When the party was happening, the rest of the country was being told they couldn't meet with their friends and they certainly couldn't have people over in their gardens, Professor. Well, I mean, we've seen um, several instances of hypocrisy along the way. Um, But perhaps I think the most important lesson to be learned from this is that these rules didn't really make a lot of sense in the first place. So... Of course, there is the the hypocrisy itself is is really. I mean, this I mean, it's is really quite galling. This but, is the but, irony, isn't it? Is that, is mm. that no one died as a result of these young healthy people meeting up, and that's why you know young healthy people could have carried on meeting up during this period if they'd taken re- reasonable precautions. In other words, it wasn't that they were doing something wrong in carrying on having this party. It was that they were telling other people not to. Yeah. It, so it, so that's where the sort of irony, as you say. Yeah. That's where the irony is. I love the beginning of the answer from the professor. Shall we hear it again? Because it's worth hearing. This is one of the co-authors of the great Barrington 
a declaration. number of you are giggling your asses off at James O'Brien. That's not parody. You have to keep it in mind. That is not parody. That is what passes for, for, for journalism, for broadcast journalism in 2022. It's okay to behave like that on national radio. It's wonderful and it's terrifying at the same time. Let's just hear the beginning of what she said about the party. And this is relevant, I think, because I had no sympathy today for people on television saying they weren't allowed or that they didn't get to hold the hands of their loved ones when they died in care homes. Now, don't just take that statement, please, and think that I'm a heartless bastard. I'm not. Of course I have empathy. I'll explain in a minute. Let's hear Gupta again. Well, I mean, we've seen um, several instances of hypocrisy along the way. Um, But perhaps I think the most important lesson to be learned from this is that these rules didn't really make a lot of sense. No, in the, first place. in the first place, these rules didn't make a lot of sense. And I would have been asking people today if I had been given the opportunity to speak to some of these bereaved families groups, the COVID bereaved families, these ridiculous groups of people, these people who believe that their loved ones died of COVID. And maybe some of them did. But of course, the great majority didn't die of COVID. They were very, very, very ill, went to hospital, died of their illness and then had COVID attached to their death certificates. So when I say I don't have any sympathy for them, I don't really mean that. It's heartbreaking and I have a heart. You know this. We talk, you and I. You know I'm not the worst guy in the world. I've got a filthy mouth on me and I say some stupid things, but I do like people. I do love people and I don't want to see that happen to people. But on some level, they've got to take the blame themselves because they believed this crap. You didn't believe it. I didn't believe it. I haven't obeyed a single strand of it. Not one. I haven't worn a mask anywhere. I've gone into plenty of places where masks were required, didn't wear one. I saw who I wanted to see and when I wanted to see them in March, April, May, June, July 2020. I went wherever I wanted to go. I drove wherever I wanted to go. I saw, as I said, whoever I wanted to see because I knew it was bullshit. And if I had a senior relative in a care home, somebody I loved, I would have done what the great Jackie Devoy did with her father, John, rest in peace, he's no longer with us. I would have rescued or kidnapped that relative from that care home and brought them home with me, which is what Jackie Devoy did. And her father's final months were better because he was with his daughter and a friend who was acting as his carer rather than being stuck in a care home, being spoken to by people wearing masks and visors and PPE equipment. So, of course, I feel dreadful for those who didn't get to kiss and hug their departing loved ones. But you bought into this crap. You believed Boris Johnson when he told you that the bubonic plague was raging through England and was killing people and might kill 500,000 people. And you obeyed that shit. And are you really annoyed or are you as annoyed as you say you are because he had a party or on some level are you actually choking back the boil that you fell for it yourself? And I wonder about that. And I don't want to be cruel to people at all, you know, who faced up to that crap in 2020, having to wave at their loved ones. Remember some of the things they did? They got people, they got family members to come and drive past the entrance to a care home and as they drove past 
the loved one was wheeled to the curb so that they could wave at them. All of that shit. Who's really to blame for that? Boris Johnson or you because you allowed it? And that's an uncomfortable question for many people. But it's about time we started asking those questions. I suppose we can ask them without losing our empathy and our sympathy for the situations they found themselves in. But wake the fuck up, you know. Stop whinging about that goon having a party when you weren't allowed to do this, that and the other. Ask yourself why you obeyed that nonsense in the first place. 16 minutes past five. Sinatra Gupta, speaking to Julia Hartley Brewer on Talk Radio, was also asked about the spectre, I love that word lately, the spectre, the, the reality of blaming the unjabbed for restrictions, blaming the unjabbed for the NHS being under pressure, etc., etc. What did Gupta say? Well, it's, it's utterly illogical because, of course, as we know, the vaccines are only, uh, they're fantastic at preventing severe disease and death, it would seem, but they uh, have a very transient um, ability to protect you against infection or to stop you from passing it on. Uh, and that's not surprising because natural infection also is good at giving lifelong protection against severe disease, but does not give you um, long lasting infection blocking immunity. So, I mean, unless you see it within that sort of context, uh, none of what we've observed about coronavirus makes sense. And in that context, it's absolutely, as I said, just illogical um, to uh, discriminate against people who have not been vaccinated on that basis. Now, obviously, people who are vulnerable should go ahead and get vaccinated because that gives you individual protection against disease. But you cannot use vaccines as a tool to control transmission. So we are going to have to rely on herd immunity to achieve that. And that is most reliably, um, uh, most, most sustainably, achieved through natural infection. Natural infection, not vaccination. It's more sustainable to achieve herd immunity through infection naturally and not through vaccination. Sinetra Gupta speaking to Talk Radio this morning. Have a listen to a little bit of this. This is very interesting, I think. Kate Goodman is a doctor. She works in a hospital where she is primarily charged with looking after elderly people. So geriatrics, we would, have, we would have said, I suppose, some years ago. There's a term you don't hear very often anymore, geriatric. Anyway, Kate Goodman, she's a young doctor, a qualified doctor working in hospitals, and she was speaking to Colin Brazier on GB News, and this was today, and it's an interesting exchange. Given the shortages in staff that you're seeing, where do you stand on this idea that if you work within the NHS, there is an expectation, it may have legal force, that you must have a vaccine? Oof. <laughs> um, I'm actually unvaccinated myself, so I'm set to lose my job in April. Um, I'm very much opposed to any form of mandate um, for any medical intervention. Um, I think it's a dangerous path to go down um, and sets a, a terrible precedent for the future. Um, uh, I, uh, I'm not... Sorry, Colin Carroll. No, no sorry, Kate, I, I didn't realise you were going to say that. I had no idea before you, you appeared <laughs> on our television screens that you weren't vaccinated and that was your position. How, how marginal is the position that you 
you take within the hospital, what reaction do you get? How much pressure are you coming under from hospital managers, maybe even from patients, to get jabbed? Um, I've had no pressure from patients. Um, my patients have actually been very supportive. Um, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I don't want to sound um, big-headed, but I'm widely regarded as a, a caring doctor that my patients love. Um, so they've all been very supportive, but I have been under extreme pressure from hospital management. Um, I've felt sort of bullied and, and harassed at times over the recent months um, about my choice. And it's, it's, it's a choice that I've made for myself, um, weighing up sort of risks and benefits to me from COVID and from the vaccine. And I mean, actually, for the first 12 months of the COVID epidemic, I worked on a COVID ward. I cared for COVID patients every day. Um, I was highly exposed to COVID and didn't actually catch it. I didn't get ill. I didn't test positive. Um, but I went into work every single day. I didn't have adequate PPE, like most of my colleagues. Um, my colleagues all became unwell with COVID and I remained well. So I may I reckon she may have remained well because she didn't have adequate PPE and she wasn't wearing a mask and she's in her thirties. She's chosen not to have the jab. This is really interesting because we're approaching April, of course, where theoretically well, I say theoretically, it's enshrined in law now that people who work face to face with patients in the NHS will be prevented from doing so and will lose their jobs or be redeployed unless they can prove their double jab. She goes on to say this very briefly. But I don't consider myself, um, I'm, in, I'm in my 30s, I'm fit and healthy. I don't consider myself to be in a vulnerable group. So I don't feel that I need the vaccine. Um, so that's, that's the reason that I didn't take it. Um, and I, I do believe in the fundamental human right to bodily autonomy. Bodily autonomy, eh? The fundamental human right. Dr Kate Goodman, a hospital doctor who primarily works with senior citizens, 22 and a half minutes past five. This is the Richie Allen Show. It's live as usual from uh, the great city of Salford. Tony Gosling is standing by. He'll be with me momentarily. A little bit later on, Celeste Solemn will be with me. Uh, not been ages since she was on. As I said, it was way, way early on in the scam. Very interesting lady. If you have anything to say about any of that, leave a message on richieallen.co.uk where it says live comment. And that's pretty straightforward. And today, it seems to me that today the website is playing ball. It's all looking good. There are no problems with it thus far. Do I need to maybe cross my fingers when I say that? Do I need to maybe do that? Throw some holy water at the uh, at the internet? I don't know. Richie Allen Show is live. It is the most listened to independent news radio show in the world. Deborah Harry on the Richie Allen Show. I want that man 25 and a half minutes past the hour. Andy Murray, according to the BBC, 
has said this afternoon that it is positive that world number one Novak Djokovic has been released from detention in Australia, but that the Serbian player has a few questions to answer still. Right, so you will know that Djokovic won a court battle that overturned his visa cancellation yesterday. Uh, The Australian Open starts next week, but Australian border officials are looking into whether his travel entry form included a false declaration. It's positive that he's not in detention anymore, said Murray, but there are still a few questions that need to be answered around the isolation, which I'm sure we'll hear from in the next few days. To talk about that and other things, let's welcome to the programme for the first time in 2022, my friend and your friend, the broadcast journalist and author and host of The Politics Show every Friday at five o'clock in Bristol, thisweek.org.uk. It's the one and only Tony Gosling. Welcome back, Tony. How are you? Hi there. Yeah, thanks. I'm talking to you, Richie, from uh, the centre of Bridport in Dorset, where I'm about to go to uh, something called Stand in the Pub, which is because actually the publicans that are opening their places to Stand in the Park groups are finding that they're standing room only. Uh, So that's why I'm down here. And thanks very much for inviting me on again. Hey, Tony, that's incredible news, mate. I'm delighted to hear that. So publicans have been going to Stand in the Park events. They've been meeting people. And now those people are going back to their pubs to spend a few quid. And those pubs are doing very well. Thank you very much. That's amazing. I'm delighted to hear it. Yeah, the last time I came down here, which was uh, because I've got some friends around here anyway, before Christmas, the place was absolutely heaving. And if, you know, publicans want to bring their customers back into the pub, this is the thing to do. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. I'd like to talk more about that, maybe another day, maybe with some of those publicans. Tell me this, what do you make of the Novak Djokovic situation? It's it's getting global media coverage on the air every hour. I think you're a bit of a fan. I'm not sure whether you're a fan of tennis, but you're a bit of a fan of what Djokovic has been doing. Is that right? Well, I mean, I can remember Beyond Borg and Arthur Ashe in those days, and of course John McEnroe. Um, at, you know, him and his "You cannot be serious." That was my era watching tennis. I haven't watched it for decades, but I'll certainly be watching this Open uh, and rooting for Djokovic. I think he's done an absolutely brilliant job uh, in in completely outplaying the Australian government. Uh, you know, totally from top to bottom. You know, there is an outside chance, of course, that he's a bit of an insider. You know, I think Hugo Talks, as you said, has pointed out that he has got some connections with the World Economic Forum. But quite clearly, he's not playing to their tune, is he, anymore? No, he isn't. He isn't. It's going to be interesting tomorrow. There, I've seen some documents online today that suggests that he told a couple of porky pies when submitting his documentation, one of the lies being that he hadn't been anywhere. Um, he, he, he hadn't, from the time he submitted his applications, that he hadn't been anywhere, that he'd been in his, his domestic situation and then he flew to Australia. But apparently in the meantime, he was in Spain, apparently, or somewhere like that. If that's the case, he's in, he's in the soup, they'll, they'll boot him out for sure, won't they? No, not necessarily, because that might even compound things. I think the part of this is it's the old British you know, uh, sportsman-like approach to these things, there will be an absolutely terrible reaction to the Australian government if they don't let him play now, because this will be seen to be, 
you know, the world's number one, it's not allowed to play, so someone else is going to win the money. And, you know, this is just t- so unsportsmanlike. The, the, the psychological effect, I think, on the Australian government is going to be massive disapproval. You're cheat, you know, you're not fit to run the country. So that's why, I mean, I think he's played a blinder. He's done a fantastic job in getting himself and the Australian government into the, the, the position where they just cannot win anymore. And yet, you know, it, I know that the media, we, you and I know how the media works and how it can manipulate viewers and listeners. But still, I, I couldn't help but be struck in the last couple of days by the amount of Melbourne citizens or Victoria citizens taking to the airwaves to say that, oh, we've had to put up with all these crappy lockdowns for two years. It's been the worst place in the world to live. How dare he come in without uh, a vaccination? And that strikes me as kind of extraordinary, that they're not turning their ire on or focusing their anger on the Victorian authorities or the Australian government. They're, many of them seem to be pissed off with Djokovic because, oh, well, we've had to go through all of this crap. Why don't they make that leap, Tony? Why don't they make the leap to understanding that the restrictions were never necessary in the first place? Well, because of confirmation bias and because they don't, you know, I think almost all of these stories that we've been covering over the gosh, must be decade or so I've been chatting to you. There are, Richie, there are two sides to look at the ways to look at it. You know, uh, you can look at it as Djokovic is using his privilege to get around the rules, you know, or you can see, well, actually, he's playing a very clever game and he's shown up the Australian government. So he's gone through the system. He's applied to go. They've said yes. And what it's done is it's exposed the, uh, the Australian government as actually very petty-minded and pathetic. And the, the, these people are not there to run the country. They're there as representatives of the international pharmaceutical industry. They're there as uh, representatives of the globalists. And they're there to basically plough their own furrow. They're not interested in actually what is the best way to run the country and how to run You know, they're interfering in something which they've got absolutely no competence in, and it shows a mile off. Here's a question for you on Djokovic before we turn to domestic affairs here in the UK. I have looked into Djokovic since I heard that he frowned on vaccinations and that he was very interested in vaccine injuries. And I wouldn't be surprised if Djokovic, I wouldn't be surprised if he listened to programmes like this one. I don't mean this one specifically, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was open-minded. Maybe he checked out Bilderberg.org, Tony Gosling. Maybe he <laughs> listened. No, no, seriously, right? I, he, he strikes me as the ideal candidate for listening to programmes on the style of this one. So my question would be then, with that profile, why wouldn't Djokovic take the opportunity, when questioned, to to say, for example, well... It looks like the jabs are doing enormous damage to people. Um, sportsmen and women are dropping like flies around the world. I've looked at the UK reporting. I've looked at the American reporting. I've looked at the European reporting. And it seems these jabs are not as safe as you make them out to be. I'm, I'm imagining now I'm Novak. So I'm Novak and I'm speaking to Sue Barker, maybe, or, or to somebody on Radio 5 Live. And I say, you're not doing your job. Why are you not looking into this? Now, I know that Novak Djokovic will never do that. Is it because... Your pal that you mentioned thinks he's an insider, or is it because ultimately everything comes down to brand Novak? Why wouldn't he take that opportunity and that platform to put that information in the public domain? Well, look, 
uh, I think he's doing a fantastic job as he is. In what he's doing is he's a kind of dog whistle, isn't it? So he doesn't necessarily want to, uh, you know, stick his neck out too far, uh, and also to be potentially then misquoted, etc. I just think it's fascinating. Djokovic, you know, like, like several other prominent uh, sports people, have been very outspoken ab- about the idea of mandatory vaccines, vaccine passports, but they've got very little coverage. And what he's done is he's manoeuvred himself into a situation where it's impossible not to cover what he's doing. So I think he's, he's playing a very, very smart game here. Uh, you know, that's that's my opinion. Also, I mean, why have we not been, why have his views up until now not been really covered properly in the mainstream press at the level that they are now? Yeah. Uh, as he's such a prominent person. Uh, so I, I think also, of course, in the background to all of this, you talked about my Bilderberg.org site. That was started up back in 1996, I think it was, uh, just before we had the uh, horrific destruction by NATO of Yugoslavia. Now, I would have thought that he's probably one of those Yugoslavs, as many are in the, in the uh, former Yugoslavia, that know exactly what happened to their country, that it was because it was providing a model, the old Yugoslavia, a sort of halfway house between the, you know, the communists and the capitalist countries. That's why it was dismantled and destroyed. Yeah. And so there's a tremendous amount of people who've got a terrific education in the old Yugoslavia under the sort of Tito regime since the Second World War up until the 1980s. Uh, that, that are, uh, are very much aware of the massive geopolitical games that are being played, where any massive country like Yugoslavia is just simply not allowed to provide an example of how to do things around the world, which are not communist China and not fanatically capitalist America. Yeah, it's a really good. That's a really good um, summing up of that situation. You're absolutely right. Of course, the United Nations and the World Health Organization are basically one and the same. Same agendas, uh, founded by the same people. Tony Gosling is our guest. The Politics Show every Friday at five o'clock from Bristol. Three hours of news analysis that you will not find anywhere else. Check it out if you haven't done before. Nothing on the TV and radio today apart from Boris Johnson party, March 20th, 2020. It's funny, Tony, the guy was recovering from COVID, so he didn't do the March 20th excuse me, the May 20th briefing. Oliver Dowden did it. This is fun. I find this very amusing. So Oliver Dowden, the culture secretary at the time, delivered the briefing, telling people to stick to the rules. 50 feet away in the garden, Bojo and 30 folks were having drinks and what have you. Now, I ultimately couldn't give a shite about that. I do sympathise with those people who couldn't see, couldn't see their dying loved ones. And, you know, they, they followed the rules and now they're apoplectic to learn that he didn't. I wish that they would reach the conclusion much quicker, faster, that, well, maybe the rules were totally unnecessary and maybe Johnson's conduct and his pals is indicative of the fact that the pandemic is a load of old bollocks. I wish they would, but they don't. They are raging. Now, here's my theory, and you're going to shoot this out of the water, as you so often do. My theory is that even though Boris Johnson is not in charge, the pandemic, the, the, the decision to go into lockdown, nothing to do with Johnson, I don't believe. Um, he has 
pushed back a bit, especially before Christmas. Sage wanted severe restrictions on the country around about Christmas time. He seemed to kind of say, no, we're not going to go down that bloody road. And now, out of the blue, comes this email that's been around for, for 18 months that says that there was a big party invite and it might do for Johnson. I mean, this very well might cause, uh, might see his resignation. And that's not, I mean, you might disagree with that, but I think it's very, very possible. So maybe those that want to push this agenda further and faster have decided that we need to move Boris out and put some other puppet in in his place. Am I wrong? Yes, I think you are. Uh, you've got, we've got now is the Kathy Newmans and the Laura Coonsberg, you know, the Channel 4 News and the BBCs of this world, seeing this as a great opportunity to dish the dirt on Boris. I see they don't have pictures of this meet, so-called meeting. You know, the idea is, <clears throat> I think what's really going on, is that Boris is now being punished for not creating lockdowns of any sort in Britain over Christmas and New Year. Uh, this, I think, is, you know, the basically the organised crime Bilderberg mafia out there, the globalists, who can basically get anything they want on the BBC and Channel 4 News, trying to do what they, what they possibly, whatever they possibly can to have a go at Boris, discredit Boris, because of the way that he's given us a, a Christmas and a new year. And, and there is this tug of war going on. I That's mean, kind of what I like said. Boris is in the, Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't that kind of what I said? Yeah, but I mean, I don't think he's going to lose his head over this one. Uh, Maybe something else, but certainly not, as far as I can see, certainly not this one. Uh, I mean, they're they're, they're outside, for God's sake. This is nearly two years ago. I think we all know that the the country needs to, you know, be run by these people in some way. And you've got people pulling on one side, which is the COVID research group, Steve Baker and those guys. Uh, who just literally, just before, the day before he was due to make the decision about um, uh, about whether to open up for Christmas or not, whether whether we were going to get our Christmas or whether we were going to be able to see our loved ones or not. You know, that's what this is really about. Uh, so Frost resigns as the, um, doing, uh, doing the Brexit negotiations, and good old Liz Truss is put in charge. Now, that is going to send shivers up Boris's spine immediately because Liz Truss is totally incompetent, and he's thinking to himself, oh, well, I'm only here because I promised to get Brexit done. I don't know what's going to happen now. And so I think they send a very clear psychological message to Boris over just before Christmas saying, look, open up for Christmas or you get it in the neck and you're going to re- lose your support of the backbenchers, the COVID research group. And possibly there's going to be the 1922 committee getting together to decide to replace you. So that was the message they were sending to him just before Christmas. And I think he's now paying for making the right decision then now by by having the the gangster elite. I was just listening to Emma Barnett today on the BBC, absolutely vile God person you. speaking on, yeah. on Woman's Hour, who is the daughter of a brothel owner who was using trafficked girls. Trafficked girls, yes. Lovely, lovely. Yeah, not entirely surprising that, uh, I mean, and she was very much part of the operation. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. She wasn't part of the operation. Let me tell you, she wasn't. What she did, there, there was an email found where... the email demonstrated that she was aware of her father's business because she referred in the email to her father's bitches. Um, Unkind and obviously pretty unfeeling. But there's no... In which case, she's... Sorry, but I mean, in my book, she's part of the operation. But she was a minor. She was a minor then. If she's 
not as a kid going to, or a, as a teenager going to the police to tell them about the traffic women uh, that her father is managing and running, then she's part of it. Yeah, but you know? she probably... I'm hang sorry. on to you, hang on. Look, I'm not... I'm, I'm, I, it might sound like I'm trying to cover my arse here. I'm not trying to cover my arse. I just don't care anymore. But I've got to be fair. She was a minor, number one. And number two, there's no evidence that she knew that those girls were trafficked. As far as she may have been aware, those were local girls that were voluntarily working in her father's brothels. You got... I, I despise yeah, Barnett. I, I, look, I despise her. I, I despise her as much as you do. But I, 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 I'm not going to beat her up with that. She was the daughter of a scumbag. And that's unfortunate. I'm not going to blame her for that. Yeah. I blame her for her but journalism. This is the way the, B, this, this is the, way the BBC's going now. It's, you know, and, and, and Coonsberg, and, uh, you know, it's just horrible to see what the BBC's become. You know, it's something that, well, what were they doing years ago? They used to do uh, real proper panoramas. Good God, Doctor Who that was worth watching in the 70s with, you know, Tom Baker. And this was the BBC. It's yeah. certainly not there anymore. But anyway, they represent this globalist faction, Richie, I think now, who are absolutely hell-bent on turning Britain into the sort of farce that we've got at the Senate and Holyrood, where the people are told that they're not allowed to see their loved ones. Uh, for whatever reason, and they're actually they're not going to be paid any sort of compensation for uh, business owners for blocking people going to them at all. I mean, this is it, it's become absolutely absurd now, and it's only uh, organisations like ITN at Channel Four News uh, and the BBC that provide cover for these lies about what should be happening or shouldn't be happening with lockdowns. I'm getting fed up with this absolute obsession complete obsession with covid laws covid rules it's become absolute paranoia it's yeah. like you know the obsession that some people had in the old days of washing and cleaning too much and it's an actual mental illness that the whole of society's been pushed in to this obsession and, and we need to just kick kick back as hard as we possibly can against it absolutely t amen and stop complying i mean you've never complied with it neither have i and i'm sure none of our listeners have or most of them haven't it's time that people well, take... I have, actually i have a bit i mean just, just to be fair i have complied a little bit you know for example if i'm with someone who i love respect uh for example my chiropractor i wore a mask because i love the guy he's really good at his job and he asked me and i said yes so if someone is going to tell me I'm not allowed to, that's a whole other question. But I've done a little bit of minor complying, but I certainly haven't been wearing masks in the streets, supermarkets or anywhere. Well, what you've, what you've just described to me there is, um, is uh, you have a sensitivity to people. That's a different thing. And an understanding yeah. and, and, and an attitude where you'll meet people halfway. I totally understand that. We've got about 14 minutes left with Tony Gosling. Thisweek.org.uk, Bilderberg.org. Check out the politics show Fridays at five o'clock uh, out of Bristol. It really is terrific, folks. Uh, brilliant stuff lately with them um, talking, talking to, you, you even done some brilliant interviews with the, the folks who were exonerated after they ripped up Edward Colston's or... What's wrong with me? Colston statue, yes, in Bristol, and chucked it into the drink, which I say to you, and I'm going to shut up and get out of your way. No matter what you say to me, this is how pig headed I am. It's vandalism. I don't believe they should go to prison, but it's vandalism. If you want to remove something from a town centre that's owned by the public, well, you get your arse elected to the local authority and you do it. Ripping yeah. it up and throwing it into the drink, I don't give a damn how evil Colston was. It's wrong. That's my opinion. You completely disagree. Go ahead. 
Well, look, uh, I, I, I got another education because I found out that I was actually part of this whole thing. You were. Because in, 20, <laughs> in 2014, uh, I, with a musician friend, Tim Herford, from the band called the Transpersonals, we decided to go into Bristol Cathedral to sneak in whilst... Because what happens is the Merchant Venturers, who this is really all about, which is this uh, incredible secret society set up to exploit the Americas in the 1500s, which still exists in Bristol. And if you look them up on Company's House, you'll find it's all incorporated under a royal charter, and it's not managed by uh, the company's uh, uh, legislation. It's managed by the Privy Council, so you can't really find out anything much about them. But these guys, what they do is they now uh, now control a whole load of secondary schools in Bristol uh, after the privatisation of the schools, is they block book the cathedral one day a year, what they have, they call a charter day service, which is the commemoration of the day they got their charter. Now, these guys are really the owners of the city. So, you know, Bristol's a former Templar port uh, in medieval times. You know, the Knights Templar had their little ships in the Bristol port. And, you know, it seems to me we've got a similar sort of almost a local Illuminati in these uh, merchant venturers. But anyway, the point being is uh, Tim and I went into this charter day service expecting to be able to sort of sit and watch it. I took my phone and uh, recorded the sermon. Uh, Actually, they tried to chuck us out, Richie. So everybody was like marked who is where. And we sat in two empty chairs. And this lady came over just as the service was about to start. She halted the beginning of the service and said, you two have got to leave. So no, 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 we're just going to sit and enjoy the service. So... So eventually, after a couple of minutes, they held the service for us and uh, we were told to leave. But there was a lovely little verger at the back said, no, it's OK. You, you guys can just sit down behind this pillar and enjoy the service. So we stayed. And when the guy started his sermon, I started recording. And so I got the, the, the Bishop Mike, as he was at the time in 2014, uh, saying to all these collected school children from all over Bristol who'd been marched in there under orders for this service, something like 500 school kids saying that Edward Colston's connection with the slave trade was just speculation. Now, once this got out to the BBC, they covered it the next day and they had Bishop Mike on their programme the next morning. Uh, Actually, it was Tim Pemberton, who was a West Indian guy who was a managing editor of Radio Bristol at the time, who I I gave the recording to. Uh, Then, all of a sudden, all hell broke loose, basically. The whole city realised that this bishop had been lying to these kids about, you know, basically trying to do PR for the merchant venturers to the young people of Bristol who were their, you know, their pupils. So so this this apparently, according to Christine Townsend, who's now a councillor for the Green Party in the city, she said she was she told me that. After she heard this recording, she couldn't let it laugh. <laughs> and so the campaigners for Colston decided, right, we're going to do something about this. Because one of the things I didn't understand until just literally last week was the statue was only put there in the 1890s. So this is 150 years after Colston's death. Why because is that relevant, do you think? Vent- well, it's relevant because the merchant venturers realised that he was a serious problem for them with his so-called reputation around the city, this, that, named after Colston. And actually, the guy was a, a mass murderer. I mean, you know, so they decided that to try and make a kind of a marvellous image of Colston. This is a brilliant person. Everyone will love him. We think he's great. And it's only him. It's not, you know, as far as I know, anybody else particularly in the city. But they put him up there, the Merchant Venturers did, in the 1890s as 
the great guy of Bristol, the great benefactor that did this and that. And I think we've now reached a time, particularly with the big West Indian community in the city, we have had enough of this guy. Now, we're not erasing history by getting rid of the statue. We're just saying this guy should be, the statue should be lying down on the floor in a museum that people can go and see with a bit of red paint on it and a few dents rather than, you know, let's stick him up in the main square and uh, uh, as if to say what a great guy he is. And you're a Bristolian, and I know you've been over that story for years. I totally respect your opinion. I fear, you see, that that this eventually goes further and further. I mean, how long before... Don't laugh at this now. It might sound a bit silly, but... Well, do laugh if you want. You can do what you want. But how long before... We've had this before, haven't we? We've had SUVs, and we've had diesel cars targeted by people. How long before that's acceptable? And how long before a judge says, well, you know, climate change is going to kill us all, so I totally understand that young Johnny and Mary scratched up Richie's diesel car or punctured Tony's uh, Range Rover or whatever. Another story today, Tony, that kind of is kind of similar to that. I've been following this through GB News, which is improving. It's improving in terms of its um, production values uh, week on week. But they're, they're covering this story about this pub in Linlithgow. Uh, it's not. It's Linlithgow in Scotland. I can, can't pronounce the bloody thing. It's a pub called The Black Bitch. And it's been called The Black Bitch for forever and a day because it's um, named after The Black Bitch of Linlithgow, which is a dog, a female dog. And there's a big campaign to prevent the name of this pub being changed to appease the woke. You know, people want to change the name. It's unacceptable. We can't call a, a pub the black bitch. I'll I, I tell you what, Tony, these culture wars, they do bore me. But I think if, if you know, you don't say to people, look, you can't just vandalise something that you don't like, even if it has... The, the, yeah, but the, you know, there's, no, but there's something very Orwellian about the merchant venturer's attempt to yeah. uh, control history here. You know, you, what you've got is, is it, is it uh, he who can p- controls the present controls the past. He who controls the past controls the future. Why not put a plaque there? Why not leave... Sorry, T, why not leave the statue there and put a big plaque there saying, this guy was a scumbag? And in the late... you know what? That's exactly... That's exactly... Well, it wasn't... They were planning to do something like that, but the merchant venturers stopped it happening. Uh, This has been going on apparently the first time that there were attempts to get the statue removed, Christine was telling us, was in the 1920s. Uh, this is a basically the anti-slave, you know, the people that stopped the slave trade in Bristol. We are their successors now, saying that this trade was totally unacceptable. It's, uh, you know, inhuman and that nobody who was a big part of it. The irony, of course, here is everyone's talking about, oh, you're trying to get rid of history. No one had even heard of Edward Cole. Yeah, that's before. right. That's true. And now they have. And they know that he was a yeah. guy that we're, we're, we're being told is a brilliant bloke. Uh, but actually, he wasn't. He was uh, uh, extremely... And the only way he managed to get away with what he did was because all of the pain and misery was happening over in Africa and on the these ships away from Bristol, way away from Bristol, uh, out of sight, out of mind. And they did that deliberately, just as they now do with you know various wars that are taking place, Afghanistan and God knows where, and they try and control what we know about them through the use of the mass media. So it's a similar kind of thing even way back then. It's about mind control. And we're now saying in Bristol, we're not having any more of that. This guy was a bad guy. Get rid of his name. We don't want his name associated with our city anymore. Thank you. Find maybe find one of the people that helped abolish the slave trade. Uh, and let's, let's uh, big them up instead.
I'm giving you the win there. That's three one. I'm giving you the win there. I'm I'm, I'm giving you that one. I can't argue with that. I I, I want to say this to you before we run out of time. Th- this will give you a little bit of a giggle. I remember about five years ago, I did a I had a rant on on a Sunday morning program that I didn't intend to be amusing, but I ranted. It turned out it was funny. Uh, unintentionally funny. I had been in Manchester on Saturday with my better half tea and we had seen men running around holding their mobile phones in front of their faces, running around. And I hadn't a clue what was going on until I asked somebody what was going on and they became very vexed because I was getting in their way. Uh, They were going around looking for Pokemons Uh, They were playing a game where you put an app on your phone. This was all the rage. It still is all the rage. And you point your phone at a a doorway, maybe at a McDonald's. Maybe you point your phone at, at, I don't know, at, at a Marks and Spencer's. Now, of course, there isn't a Pokemon there. But a digital one might show up on your phone because these things are, you you know this, this is crazy. This made made me laugh today. Um, Two cops in Los Angeles were called out to attend a robbery at Macy's in in Los Angeles back in uh, 2017. This is totally true, this. They were told it was a serious robbery in progress. There were armed people there and all hands on deck, everybody get there. But the two lads were in the middle of playing this game, Pokemon. So they said, and they've got the audio tapes of this, these guys were fired, but they appealed. Idiots, I don't know how they thought they'd win their appeal. But they said to the the dispatch, right, fair enough. And then they said to one another, they said, ah, screw this. And they took out their phones and they went to try and hunt down a Pokemon character instead. And Tony, the reason I'm telling you that is because I I don't care how much logic, I don't care how good the news analysis is, on the politics show in Bristol on Fridays at five o'clock. We're fucked, Tony. We're absolutely screwed as a race of people. There's no hope for us whatsoever uh, when, when you see this sort of stuff going on. And I've seen it going on around me. Well, well what about the various convictions there have been over the last few months for police sharing pictures of corpses yeah, with, their, disgusting, with yeah. their friends? Look, I think what we need quite clearly within the police is a force that does its job. I was chatting to a guy that's just published a book. He's a professor at one of the universities a few weeks ago, just before Christmas, about, you know, the, the detectives don't actually investigate anymore. They sit behind a desk. Anything that's really important, they don't go out on the beat asking questions, knocking on doors, uh, according to him. And I certainly, this is my experience of the Avon and Somerset police, is they leave it all to the, or is it the Organised Crime Agency or something they call it? Uh, it's Britain's FBI and also Serious Organised Crime Agency, so yeah. All of these major crimes that detectives should be looking into don't get investigated. And you know what? Uh, the police has completely changed its character as a result. So they're not proactive. They just wait for the evidence to come to them and they wait for powerful people in the senior levels of the police, like superintendents, to, uh, to uh, make moves on somebody in order to pursue a prosecution so the 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 character of the police force has changed we've got horrific i think nepotism goes on within the police and of course there's the secret societies the freemasonry which is uh and and groups like common purpose who are basically promoting their own not the best person for the job they're often looking at somebody's equality score saying oh actually we need a woman in this job where maybe a man might have been better to do it we don't know, but that's the sort of agenda that they're pursuing. It's a bean counter, box ticking agenda. 
which has ended up with a complete demoralization of many police. Now, that doesn't mean to say, I mean, it, certainly my experience in Bristol is that sometimes the only agency that's doing anything is the police in a situation. The social services don't care. The council don't care. The housing association, whatever the situation is, don't care. And what happens is the police will maybe send some files to the Crown Prosecution Service, you know, that Keir Starmer used to be basically in charge of, and then nothing happens. And so there's a terrible demoralisation within our police force. I just think we need to have, you know, basically people who are well-respected within the police, promoted up through the police, as it used to be in the 1950s and 60s and 70s, in order to be chief constables and, and also to be completely fearless in the face of their paymasters. The other thing we've got, for example, in Bristol, is Bristol City Council pays the big slice of the police bill. So they don't want to do anything about investigating Bristol City Council for illegally or unlawfully selling off our land to their chum developers. You know, so there are all sorts of forces working against the police, but still, I think they're the best we've got. Brilliant to catch up with you again, T. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. Folks, do go to Bilderberg.org or thisweek.org.uk. Go to Amazon.co.uk and buy one of Tony Gosling's brilliant books. And in the very near future, uh, I, I, I'm glad to announce this, Tony has agreed uh, to pop um, articles on richieallen.co.uk from time to time when he has the time, and that'll be great value for us. Tony, thanks, buddy. Lovely to have you on, and I know we'll do it again real soon. And I'm delighted at the news you brought us at the top of the programme from Dorset there. Publicans have been going to stand in the park and they're meeting people and like-minded people are using those businesses. That's the way forward, T. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, I'm increasingly finding that almost all stories, there's a sort of the, the truth and there's the devil's advocates. And, you know, I'm finding this time and time again, now this COVID agenda is rolling out, that uh, there is, uh, we just make sure you're on the right the right side of history, folks, because there is a very powerful globalist agenda out there that's that occupying many of our important spaces like banking institutions and, and media. Well, you know, Murdoch, I think, has done a reasonable job, actually, in Fox News, in talk radio uh, and in Sky News Australia in getting the truth out, which is incredible. You know, I spent most of my life campaigning against, against the guy, but him. it seems to yeah. have turned out almost okay anyway god bless richie thanks ever so much for inviting me on again you're welcome t bye for now tony gosling folks uh, the politics show fridays at five o'clock out of bristol tony uh guest co-presenters, brilliant um, uh, guests, news analysis, the likes of which you won't get anywhere else. For more details on that, thisweek.org.uk. Tony Gosling, it's coming up for six o'clock. So it is. And Tony mentioned Emma Barn there, and you might have been wondering why I jumped in there robustly to challenge him. Emma Barnett is a BBC radio presenter. She presents Women's Hour on The Beeb. She previously did BBC Radio 5 Live. She's also worked for LBC Radio. And for a time, and she might still be doing this, she might still be doing this, um, Newsnight. Yes, I think she does Newsnight too. Uh, she's a Jewish woman, uh, brought up in Manchester. And her, her father, Ian Barnes, is a bit of a scumbag. Uh, he was convicted of running Brussels and filling those brothels with, with trafficked women and taking some of those women and filming sex films with them and selling them. Dreadful guy. And Tony made an insinuation there or put it out there that Barnett, you know, shared the, the, the blame and the shame for some of that. I don't know that, but there's no evidence to suggest she did. She was in her early teens 
when this was going on. Uh, there was an unflattering email that was um, brought out during his during his trial. Uh, this guy Barnett, um, I think it's Ian Barnett. I, I stand stand to be corrected, but but her father anyway. And in that email exchange, she sarcastically referenced his bitches. You know, suggesting she knew full well how he was earning his money. Anyhow, I don't like Barnett, but I'm not going to, you know, to, to go that low in, in terms of my criticism of her. I don't like her as a presenter. I don't like her as a journalist. I don't believe she is a journalist, but that's neither here nor there. It's an interesting story, is the story of her father and what he was doing here in uh, the Northwest. It's exactly two minutes past the hour. You are with the Richie Allen Show. It is live, of course, as always, from uh, Salford, from BBG Towers. I'm with you five to seven, Monday to Thursday, Sunday morning melodies, every Sunday between 10 and 12. Lovely to be with you today. The Richie Allen Show relies on your support. Visit richieallen.co.uk and make a financial contribution today. Are you a company based in the northwest of England who want to improve their profile via social media? Yes! Well, you could go out in the car park and film something on your phone, but it's not very good, is it? No! Sounds terrible, the picture's not that great. Yes! Try Ensign Films. We're a new video production company based in the heart of Manchester. We're really old, we've had loads of experience, and we can work within your budget. Don't go out in the car park with Debbie from Accounts. Seriously. Ensignfilms.co.uk The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. Okie doke, one or two people have asked me today, would I interview somebody called Mike Yeadon? Now, this has come up once or twice in the past, a year and a half ago or over a year ago, this guy was invited on the programme and he turned me down and I know why he turned me down because I would have had plenty of questions about his time in pharmaceutical companies, in a particular pharmaceutical company, and the things that happened on his watch there. And that's the problem. It's the reason why he he decided not to come on the programme. Because I'm not going to bring a guy like Yeadon on, and I, I can't, as a journalist, ethically, I can't allow him to come on and talk about the problems with the jabs and all of that, without pointing out that he has a pretty checkered past himself, in terms of where he worked, who he worked for, and the things that went on on his watch. And, and that's why the guy has never been on the programme. So there you are. It's been a while since anybody has mentioned him as a possible guest. He will not come on with me. No chance. Craig says, if the objection to statues is based on what the person stood for, can we march to London and tear down the statue and the bust, or, or the bust of Karl Marx? Of course not. And I wouldn't want it either, says Craig, but up to 100 million people died because of the words of Marx. Is that not guilt enough? It's a good point. Yeah. I gave Tony the win, but I still don't agree with them vandalising the statue. I don't. And uh, it's not because I support slavery. Of course not. But I don't have to say that. Uh, Brambo says, Richie, criminal damage is criminal damage, and condoning this is very much a thin end of the wedge. In Colston's day, slavery was not regarded as an evil indeed just a business, and was conducted by all empires of the world. It's historical revisionism, says Brambo. You might very well be right to say it was a business, but I don't agree with you, Brambo, when you say that it wasn't regarded as an evil. People maybe didn't speak about it. Maybe there were not laws against it. 
But surely Colston knew that uprooting people in shackles and in chains from the places they lived and taking them against their will and transporting them to other countries and forcing them into slave labour, they must have known that was evil. These would have been Bible, I shouldn't say Bible thumping or Bible bashing people, but these would have been Christian people, wouldn't they? So, look, I, I hear you, but I'm not in agreement with you entirely. I've got to take a tune because my next guest is standing by and we better not keep her waiting. We're going back to the late 1970s now. If you will allow me to indulge myself. It's a Bruce the Boss Springsteen from Darkness on the Edge of Town. This is Badlands on your Richie Allen show. It is seven and a half minutes past the air, then the boss in Badlands on the Richie Allen Show. Drive time here in the northwest of the UK. Thanks for your company. Hundreds of messages on richieallen.co.uk. I can't read them all out live on air, but thanks for them. You can chat amongst yourselves. Great excitement about the return to the programme of my next guest. It's been over a year since she was on, and we did say at the time, I can't wait for you to come back, but she's a busy lady. Um, She's a former Federal Emergency Management Agency employee that's FEMA. She hosts a brilliant podcast called The Celestial Report. Um, We got her on, didn't we? Because she gave a fantastic presentation at the beginning of the scam about the World Economic Forum and what it was doing. That's why we spoke back in early, uh, mid-2020. L- listen, without further ado, let's welcome back to the programme uh, the brilliant Celeste Solemn. Celeste, welcome back. How are you? It's great to be here, and I'm uh, running at, into 2022. It's going to be uh, pretty much an explosive year. It's going to keep all of us on our toes, but we're up to it. That, that's lovely. Can we can we stay with that thought for a moment? Twenty twenty two. I'm in the UK here, and the the advice the scientific advisors to the UK government wanted the government to lock everything down over the Christmas and to make things miserable. It looks like Boris Johnson and and his cabinet held back and and didn't do that. It doesn't feel too bad here at the moment. Uh, so so there are some who who know what the agenda is, but they feel a bit more optimistic at the moment. Are they right to be optimistic, Celeste, or do you feel things are going to get a bit darker and a bit more difficult as 2022 opens up? It's going to be exceedingly darker um, in 2022. We're going to see volatility. We're going to see violence. We're going to see the continuing of the erosion of autonomy of both of our our bodies and our brains. Um, they don't want us to even think our thoughts anymore. And so it the, the I believe, in my humble opinion, that World War III has begun. And it, be, it began in 2020 or late 2019 with the invasion of the SARS-CoV-2 into our bodies and then the resulting collateral damage as a result of it affecting every part of our economics, our society, the way we do business, the way we consume energy, everything is impacted. Um, 
like the World Economic Forum did have that spike protein, remember? And it had COVID in the middle and then all the changes they were going to make. That's right. And they're in the process. They have not let up. As a matter of fact, we're going to have to keep on our toes because on the 17th of this month, uh, let's see, I, I don't have a calendar. Today's the 11th. So in six days, the World Economic Forum starts their annual week-long presentation where we found out what exactly they were going to do to us all. And that starts again in a week on the 17th. And do you think that's going to be, that's going to be, how do, how do I say this? That's going to be very important. Is it that week? Do you think that we're going to learn more about what's to come? Are they going to be naked about this? Are they going to be completely open about what they plan, do you think? Uh, yes, they are going to be completely open. But the problem is, is that there's so much information that's coming out right now. It's called the fire hose of information. So we've got a lot of misinformation, a lot of disinformation. And then the truth is usually buried underneath all those layers. So it takes a very uh, tenacious person, uh, people with perseverance, uh, journalists with integrity to get to the bottom of what the truth actually is. Celeste Solomon is our guest, and there's, there's huge interest in this, understandably. It's uh, great that you're back on the programme, Celeste. T tell us, when, when we spoke um, 16 or so months ago, I can't believe it's, it's, it's flown by that time, despite the tedium of talking about the same issue on a daily radio programme for nearly two years, it still has kind of flown by. You were convinced at the beginning that the virus was an excuse to utterly transform what it is to be human, how it is that we live. I, I take it, this is not a silly question, I take it that nothing has happened since that has changed your mind. This is an agenda to turn human existence on its head. Absolutely. Actually, I have just gathered more evidence. Um, a person that I follow uh, is Dr. James Gorodano. He's one of the people that I follow, and he just did a presentation a little over three weeks ago to NATO up in Sweden, and he let the cat out of the bag that he has a new toolkit that goes hand in hand. Of course, I believe SARS-CoV-2 was developed as a biological neural weapon uh, that has a payload capacity, and when I first said payload, everybody kind of looked at me, and now everybody's talking about the payload capacity of it. But he just let, he was very frank. And of course he was talking to his colleagues and not the average person of how they can assess the brain, access the brain and control every single facet from an individual to groups, um, to whole populations and that they were ready to do that. Some of this, uh, he says, it's not science fiction, it is science fact. And um, over on my YouTube channel, uh, Celeste Solom, you can watch Dr. Evil's new toolkit. I do it, did a two hour presentation where I literally extracted the transcript of what he said, um, harvested the most important parts and then presented it uh, with four people and did, you know, highlight articles on that. And then we also have uh, recently I did an article. It was a two part article. It was 25 pages. I had to break it into two parts and it was called Kingdom Wars because they started to see this pattern 
of this change of humanity. And I was horrified to discover that there is something that none of us knew about. It's Operation Adam, A-D-A-M, to remake the human. Um, And they're doing this biological experimentation. Actually, they are directing evolution. It's called uh, directive evolution and experimental evolution. And that's how come they could do anything they wanted with no accountability, with no liability, with no rules. They were kicking the tires on all the biological experiments they ever wanted to do. Um, And every time a person takes a PCR test or takes a vaccine or a booster, it changes them, it edits them. And what happens is they become a little less human each with incrementally until at some point, and we don't know what that point is, they cease to be a human. And then the big corporations, this Operation Atom is in capital letters. And if you know things about corporate law, when things are in capital letters, it means that they're owned by corporations. So this whole biological project, and once you get to a certain point, you've consumed it and you've been changed into this um, this next generation atom. It's you're actually a cyborg atom. Hang on, Celeste. Are you saying that you will have patented material inside your body without your uh, knowledge? The reason I ask this is because I remember years ago talking to the opponents of Monsanto, farmers in the United States, who said, Richie, Monsanto is the, the devil incarnate. They take their horrible Franken um, uh, uh, seeds and those seeds end up on my farm, not because I bought them, I didn't want them. And then they come and sue me for, for, for copyright because my crops have been contaminated by their seeds. And you remember, Celeste, in many cases, Monsanto won these terrible court cases. What you're saying to me, if you'd have said this to me five years ago, I would have, well, I'm a polite guy, so I wouldn't have laughed you off the air, but I would have said, ah, come on, Celeste, you're, you, you think I'm Irish, you think I'm stupid, so you're trying to pull the wool over my eyes. But you're saying that th- these jobs, as they go on and on and on and on, will incrementally change us. And without realising it, we will be basically implanted with patented material that will... For, for, for corporations, say, will give them the, the idea or the belief that they then have ownership of us. Is that what yes. you said to me? That's incredible, that. But, it, okay, so Richie, you laid the, work, uh, the foundation. Now you've got that concept. Now yes. let's take it to the next level where they're going to take it. Uh, and the people just haven't, don't know this yet. So using the model of the Monsanto with the GMO seeds, now we have patented material. When you get the spike protein or the, the jab, you, are, you have, it is a biological weapon. It is intellectual property. Now think about if you transmit it and each one of those has a signature. If you transmit it to, let's say, your neighbor, uh, you can actually, in the days to come, uh, be convicted of transmitting intellectual property without permission. And you can either be fined, go to prison, or whatever the 
the penalty will be for transmitting in theory in theory and what's fascinating about that is a friend of mine you you may know him Spiro Skouras a journalist he's a lovely fellow Spiro he educated me about a year ago Celeste he said they are developing vaccines at the moment that will beat the refuseniks like me and you vaccines that jump from one person to another shedding vaccines basically that we can't do anything about it so I say I do not want your crappy jab but my neighbours get it and it basically jumps into my system through my neighbours. I wonder, is that connected? It must be connected to what you've just told me there. It is connected. And then um, Dr. James Gordano, I, I fondly call him Dr. Evil uh, because he is. And he said that this year we would see um, this deployment of his new neurological toolkit, but it's also biological, biologically changing us. Um, and it would come to us in two forms. One, um, inhalation, which means it has been aerosolized, it's in our air, and uh, you know, we have to breathe. I don't know about you, but I have to breathe. Yeah. So um, there you have it. The second thing he said is that uh, by touch, interdermally, so interdermally, so what is gonna happen is we're gonna touch a surface and we're gonna pick up these weapons. They can be toxins. They, he said that there's new bacteria that they've made, new viruses, um, new uh, fungi. But what what keeps him up at night, and he talked about this at the end of his presentation, was weaponized prions. That's like mad cow disease. And I know you guys over in the UK had a terrible problem with, remember the pyres of cows being uh, That's burnt? That's right, yeah. And that, well, there's a human version of it. But they've weaponized that now. So it was bad enough in the beginning because what it does, for those of you that don't know, it eats your brain. Whether you're a human or an animal, it eats your brain. Kind of like Alzheimer's, but even worse. I mean, your brain literally looks like Swiss cheese. So, you know, it's and they've weaponized it. And that's going to be put into the air and it's going to get in our water. It's going to get in our food. It's going to be on the surfaces of things that we touch. So we live in this really dangerous time. So you're right about, I, I also am a refuse, Nick. I refuse to get this, uh, but we get a little bit of the dosages, but um, I'm thankful at least we don't get the high concentrations that the people who are consenting to testing and also to um, the jab and now They've come up with um, the, uh, the the jab and a pill. So now you have to really be careful of any pharmaceutical products that you're taking. Really read the labels. You guys, I, 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 it doesn't matter if it's pharmaceuticals. It can even be your healthcare products. You're going to have to watch for those words like hydrogel, quantum dot. And if it has that those words in it, stay away. Uh, we found, well, the World Economic Forum last year said that by the end of 2021, all commercial food would have hydrogel in it. And I have to say they did, in fact, achieve that goal. So uh, everything that you get at the store, I don't care if it's celery or processed food, a TV dinner, whatever it is, it's got hydrogel in it. Celeste, um, sorry to interrupt you now. Um, uh, forgive my ignorance, but... I suppose there's no such thing as a stupid question. What is what is what is hydrogel? Tell me about it. 
So hydrogel, so back in the day, like decades ago, DARPA wanted to put chips in everybody's brain. Uh, but they didn't want to have to do brain surgery on everybody. So what they did is they developed this uh, gel that would soak in or be absorbed into your body. It would swarm to the brain. It would cross and it would cross the blood brain barrier. It would grow inside of you and there would be a little less of you and a little more of it um, with as it proceeded to invade your body. That's why I said we're, we are being invaded biologically. And it's track and trace. They can tell everything from where we are to what we're eating. Um, if you have a drink, uh, if you've been to the pub, uh, if you're eating carbohydrates and your doctor has told you not to, um, all the way to controlling your thoughts, implanting thoughts in your brain, uh, reading, it's an operating system, so it has the capacity to read and write, just like your computer, um, and it can read anything into your brain. It could put false uh, thoughts into your brain that you would never think. Um, and so it, basically it's an entity. Um, at first, you might be familiar with smart dust, and then it yeah. changed to hydrogel, and now you know they can they can they can pick Richie Allen out from anybody in the world and know exactly what you're doing it's like having your own personal spy system but the scariest thing about it i mean i think the reading and writing of our brain is pretty bad um is that it can it's a platform and this platform has the ability with its little receiver and transmitter to implant any vaccine and any drug into any person at any time without your consent or your it knowledge is a, it is a platform and once you get it in your body i get thousands of emails how do i get it out and you can't it cleaves to your body it becomes one with your body and you cannot get it out i remember my old friend david ike years ago was writing about regina duggan and darpa the, this this dark wing of the Pentagon that was involved in developing all of this terrible stuff. I, I naively at the time asked, how could this company get away with, with manufacturing these horrors? You know, there is the Geneva Convention. There are rules around manufacturing weapons and, and warfare. I was naive, of course, at the time. Of course, there's no oversight, is there, Celeste? They just make this stuff and, and, and people are not aware of it. There's very little media coverage of it, if any. So that sometimes, you know, I do this program and it has, you know, it's got a wide audience in, in many countries and people are hearing this for the first time and they will email me and say, Richie, your guest, Celeste Solon, fabulous, really articulate lady. She sounded like she knew what she was talking about, but this can't be going on. I would have read about this. I would have read about smart dust. I would have read about hydrogel. Uh, you know, how, how is this possible? It's, this is terrifying stuff and I'm not challenging this because I've done my own homework and I know that what you're saying is true. I know that this equipment, th this capability exists. I know it for a fact because of people like you, it must be said. Not because I'm, you know, you're, you're the person who did all the, the legwork, you, you and some others. But, but, but it's there. I'm, I'm getting a lot of questions. Celeste Solom is our guest. Sorry for saying solemn earlier on. I am an idiot sometimes, but um, you forgive me that. Um, Celeste is a former FEMA employee. 
presents, um, first of all, find her on YouTube. Her channel is excellent. It's Celeste, C-E-L-E-S-T-E, and Solum, S-O-L-U-M. Check her out. Subscribe to the channel. Uh, the Celestial Report podcast been brilliant over the years. And if you get a chance, look at her presentation about the World Economic Forum. It's brilliant. It connects a lot of dots. And, and that came out. When did that come out? March? Was it April 2020 when you did that? Maybe a little bit before that? Well, no, I think it was pretty much they met in January, January. and I think I got it out in February. February, yeah. Now, by yeah. the time that you heard about it, it meant it might have been a month, but... No, you're um, right. Bang on. All, I jump on these guys, like when Dr. James Gordano spoke to the um, NATO, I think I got that out within five days, His what he said. That's right. Yeah, you're right. February, of course, you're right. You know, you did it, and and we spoke then. I think in April, of of that year. Celeste, uh, I mentioned comments coming into my website, richieallen.co.uk. Many of them coming in. You know, we we've been. I've met some amazing women like yourself, Alison McDowell, and and others in 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 the last two years, and listening to you and you talking about that technology, that that malevolent technology and what it's meant to do. I can't help thinking about, they've been speaking on the BBC a lot lately about the metaverse, the coming metaverse, Facebook's metaverse, people spending time inside a virtual reality world and the capabilities of that. And of course, that's being sold to people. It's been brilliantly sold by the BBC and by Sky and, and other news Organizations are talking about the wonderful possibilities, how we will immerse our children into this technology and they will be able to go and visit the, go and watch the French Revolution, go and watch the founding of the United States of America, walk the streets of ancient Rome. It all sounds wonderful, but to me it sounds absolutely terrifying that we would, you know, talk about spending, we would talk about a future where we would spend many, many hours of every day immersed in an illusory world. And the question I'm being asked to put to you is, is that agenda, that metaverse agenda, is that connected, directly connected to what you've been talking about today with me? Yes. That, uh, I, so in 2019, I got a 232-page military document, and it talked about a digital twin. And you can look that up. And this is a whole virtual world where you where you, it's it is like our world you know but basically what they it's part of the agenda 21 thing uh, from the un where you just have your little tiny house you sit in your lazy boy you put on your oculus glasses and you go into this other world and all the things examples that you gave were very interesting and very positive but there's a dark underbelly to that. You can also go into this world where there's every perversion. Um, there's no uh, rule of law. There's no morals. You can you can basically go into a hellish world. Uh, you could be your own Caesar and put people to death. Uh, so and but what the what they want you to do is to be entertained and occupied until they depopulate you. And it's, it's kind of like Soylent Green, you know, at the end, the guys wheeled in and um, there's the movie theater and then they put him out of his mi misery yeah. and they then turn him into Soylent Green. 
what did you know that there so they've got these oculus glasses they've got this virtual world i don't know if it's at the us um i do think the first time i heard about this maybe 20 years ago uh was in scotland <clears throat> a pet was recycled um a dog if i remember correctly but the laws in the states now are starting to say you can't bury somebody, you can't cremate any anybody because it's a, a, um, it harms the planet. So what you're going to do is you're going to be liquefied, and it's going to go into two places. One place is the water system. So your liquefied body um, is going to go into the water system and or be sprayed on. On crops. No way. So and, is this a proposal at the moment no, or, or have some states actually been talking about this? Not talking about it. They're doing it in Washington state. You're kidding uh, me. Seattle. In Seattle, they are actually doing it. You can look it up. Uh, the process is called hydrolysis. Um, I call it liquefaction, but it's hydrolysis where they just liquefy you, put you in a blender, spin you up and Turning us into cannibals. Turning us into cannibals, effectively. Yes. Listen, yeah. Celeste, I, I love a bit of dissent. Um, uh, Faisal is listening to this with great interest, and he's, um, he's sceptical. He says, Richie, I'm a bit more sceptical than you are, he says. If they could really just chip us and control us with some gel, they could just sneak it into our food or deodorants or something and not have to bother with any of the wild antics of the last 20 years. That's an interesting point from Faisal. Um, you talked about the hydrogel and we talked about the smart dust. Um, why have, if, if it's so easy, why have they not done it and, you know, laced our food with this stuff and just got on with it? It's a good question. Why, why, how do you answer that? That's why it, it is. That's the World Economic Forum said last year. It is going to be in all your food, uh, this hydrogel. And quantum dot. Quantum dot is just a bright colored version of hydrogel. And the reason is, is there's concentrated, they're also doing experimental evolution. And so what they want to do is give a set of perimeters and say, okay, the people with the jab, and then don't forget, this is a track and trace. So they can tell exactly what this booster does inside your body. They can say, okay, the Johnson and Johnson jab does these particular things to the body where if it's in food, it's at a lesser, um, not as concentrated a form. Yes, they have it, but it's not going to direct evolution as fast as they want it. That's my opinion on it. Thanks, Celeste. And for, for anybody who wants to find out more about it, go to Celeste's YouTube channel. I mentioned that already. But if you want to, if you think, right, I've heard Celeste, I want to do my own looking into it. If you Google, I hate to say Google, but search for World Economic Forum Hydrogel, H-Y-D-R-O-G-E-L, you'll find out a lot about it. And you will find out pretty quickly that Celeste Solem is not making this stuff up. She's getting it from the horse's mouth, so do check it out. Celeste Solem is our guest. It's 26 minutes to the top of the hour. Celeste is going to stay with me till about three minutes to the top of the hour. This is flying by, although I will be inviting her back on the programme in a few weeks' time if she'll come back. We won't be leaving it 16 months before she comes back because this is really important uh, stuff. It, it really is. Um, 
number of people saying they have to check out Silent Green again. It's been so long since they saw that. Does that amuse you or bemuse you, Celeste, that when we do take a look back at some of our more well-known science fiction films of the last 30 years, my God, they predicted a lot of the things we see developing, uh, you know, as we go through this COVID thing. I wonder why that is. Were we being primed for this somehow through predictive programming? Do you think that's uh, something to look at? Yes, and so absolutely. So my dad was uh, in the military, Navy, and uh, Navy warfare, and he was friends with Gene Roddenberry, so we actually got to go see Star Trek being filmed. And it's a well-known fact that it's all predictive programming, um, much of it, especially the science fiction or future like Black Mirror. It, it's all predictive programming. A person that if people are interested in that and want to go down the rabbit hole, I'm too busy with the facts to do the predictive programming. But we all have our niches. And so this person called Enter the Stars, that's his YouTube handle, Enter the Stars. He goes down the rabbit trail every day um, on you know TV series, movies, old, new. Um, and he really does an excellent job of uncovering the predictive programming in the media, both in the past and the present. Number of people came on the website to say that they thought that Celeste was going too far when she talked about liquefying bodies. And my listeners are very polite, Celeste. So when they disagree with my guests, they, they're always very polite in the way they do it. I'm very proud of that. I've had a couple of people say, ah, Richie, this is, this is not true. But it is. I've got an article here from, from um, the Washington Post talking about, which Celeste, to her credit, said word for word, Washington became the first state to legalise basically human body liquefying or liquefaction, however you say it. I mean, you know, and and then, of course, Celeste talked about the disposal of that. And yes, you know, spread out on the land or or dumped at sea or dumped in a river, which essentially immediately makes the people in that vicinity, makes them cannibals. And I've also been asked to ask you, forgive the scattergun approach here, Celeste, today, but you're well able for this as a broadcaster yourself, you're well able for it. Today they're marvelling at the transplanting of a pig's heart into a human body. This guy has been alive for three days after this operation and they're saying that this is fantastic. Now, I'm not a Luddite. You know, I do like a bit of progress in medicine, like, like most people, but that leaves me stone cold, that. How, how do you feel about that when you hear about genetically editing pig's hearts and planting them in people's bodies. I, I can't see an upside in it, even though the guy is alive and he didn't have a human heart. Um, am I a Luddite or uh, am I old-fashioned or is this something to be concerned about? So I have a personal story, if I might. Yes, go ahead. So I don't have a major part of my immune system. So the first thing my doctors, this is back in the 90s when it was diagnosed, um, and they said, oh, that we you need to go live in a bubble. And I said, no. And then they wanted to put a port in me and have me live, you know, dragging along an IV of antibiotics all the time. And I said, no. And the last thing that they said is we want you to go to Duke University. Now, mind you, this is the 1990s. And they said, we want you, we want to mix your genes with pig genes, and that's going to make you all better. 
And, you know, I do have this biblical worldview and it says don't mix species. And so I had to really consider it and ponder it. it. Of course, it was new technology back in that day. Nobody ever heard of anything like that. And so I just, I really was hesitant. And so I said, no, I, I just, if, you know, if I, if I end up dying from an infection, I would rather die a human than not. And every single person in this study died, including an 18 year old boy. And they were supposed to uh, cease the program at that point because they discovered that, you know, it was a death sentence, but they continued on. And actually that's many of the ingredients, many different types of animal genetic material are in the jabs. And so the thought of a edited pig heart in a human uh, terrifies me. One, the death factor that I myself knew about because I was considering that type of a medical treatment. But just also think that with that heart of a pig, there's a memory. <clears throat> Even our blood cells have memories. And all of a sudden, what, are you going to have pig memories? I mean, that's that's scary. You know, are you going to go around snorting? And yeah. I, it no, sounds far-fetched, but, but, but yeah, I, I, I kind of understand where you're coming from. I, I Listen, I'm... I'm not the bravest guy that ever lived and maybe if I was in the, the, the position where I was being told there wasn't a heart for me and I didn't have long to live, I don't know how I'd react. I, I like to be a big man on the radio and say that I would tell them to to shove their their, their pig's heart, but, but, but I don't know. What I do know is they, they make all this stuff sound so benign, don't they? And fluffy yeah. and... And ultimately, it never is where, where it ultimately ends up. I, that's how I see it. Celeste Solem is our guest. We, we've, we've covered quite a bit so far. It's uh, 19 minutes to 7 o'clock here in the UK. We've got Celeste for another 15 minutes or thereabouts. And thanks to her for coming on. You'll find her on YouTube. Look for Celeste Solem. She's a broadcaster and author, former FEMA employee, uh, a family with a naval uh, background. She talked about that and when, when she was on last. It's sinister, spooky, awful stuff, Celeste. And increasingly, because things have been so difficult for people over the last two years, they're increasingly demanding that, um, and maybe it's unfair to demand of you, maybe it's unfair to demand of me, that we have answers. Because this is dreadful, this agenda. It's real. I believe it to be real. What, what's the answer? Is there an easy answer as to how we put, a, we, we put a halt to their gallop? What can we do? Where do we even begin, Celeste? I think we have to begin as a human and to value our humanity and protect it realize that there's a lot of forces at work arrayed against us to to alter us from being a human and so that we do need to when we value that and then we do loving acts of kindness if you're an artist do beautiful artwork maybe give some away if you're a musician i know uh gareth ike does wonderful music and yeah. you know it's just really soothing to the soul and um it, uh, if you're a baker, you could make a beautiful dish or dessert or whatever, give it to your neighbor or somebody that's less fortunate to you than you. In these little steps, we fight back against the forces that would rob us of our humanity.
I love that. I love that idea that you do something that might seem to be small to take care of somebody around you, a neighbour, I don't know, somebody you work with, to do human things, to take interest in people. Because a lot of the technology that we've talked about today and we talked about previously and I've talked about over the years with David and Jim Mars, Rest in Peace and others, it seems that all the great technological advances of recent years have actually driven us further apart as people rather than bring us together. And that's an inversion, Celeste. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but they said that social media would bring us all together. It'd be fantastic for connectivity, but it hasn't done that. It's created vacuums, it's created echo chambers, and it's turned people against people. It's removed the face-to-face. You know, when I think of having spending time with people, I'm, I'm, I'm a 47-year-old man. For me, spending time with Celeste Solem is ideally in a pub where you can have a Bailey's and I can have a brandy and we can sit down and have a chat and I can give you a hug and, we'll, and I'll see you next week, Celeste. But no, a generation of people behind me, they think that connectivity and being with people is being online on social media. All of the advances in recent years claimed to be bringing us together, but in fact they're doing the opposite, right? Absolutely. The last time I saw my grandchildren, um, I was on a couch and one grandchild was on the left, one grandchild was on the right. Uh, they had their phones. I didn't have my phone with me at the time. And they were texting a conversation uh, between the two of them. And they never said a word to me. No Not a word. way. I mean, there was no human. I mean, even when they're sitting next to each other, they're texting each other. Uh, so it's the illusion of being together, but it's not really being together. Can I ask you, as 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 Gran, is it difficult to bite your tongue and not speak to mom and dad and say, "Listen, this is not good." Uh, this Gran does uh, speak, <laughs> <laughs> and they they plug their ears and they don't want to hear it. But, um, but at least they they don't kick you out. At least they listen. Yeah. Yeah, they but they have definitely are like their mom in that they have their own opinion on the matter. So yeah, fair enough. I've walked around um, not lately, but in the past I've walked around some of the, the. I'm in the northwest of the UK, and we're blessed with some beautiful beaches and also some beautiful national parks. And I have, and I'm not one of those old fashioned guys that likes to beat up on. Kids, I don't. I hate people who do that. And you don't strike me as that type of person at all. You strike me as somebody who'd be a great champion of children and the interests that they have, and you'd be supportive of them. And I try to be the same. But I've walked around national parks here, and I've seen children. And this is true, I swear on all that's sacred. I saw a child once walk past a group of wild deer that were standing 20 metres away, grazing. And the child walked idly by with a tablet in his hand, playing some sort of a cartoon game. Parents were obviously intrigued by the deer and talking about the deer, but the little boy walked on. And I, it kind of broke my heart that when I saw that. I'm not a father, but I thought if I, if I was a father, I would do everything in my power not to allow that to happen. You know, but, but you know, maybe I'm being pessimistic. But I suppose the point we're making is the, the technology we've talked about that's sold as something wondrous when really it isn't. Um, it's really hitting the children, isn't it? Uh, it's 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 almost becoming second nature to them, Celeste. Well, that's because they are preparing the world uh, for the new human. 
and the new humans are already being born. They are augmented, enhanced. They're one with the quantum computer. They have no soul. And these humans are being born now, and that's why this huge depopulation um, effort right now. Uh, so even though these these children are kind of going into a zombie state, um, but they're going to be, it's kind of like um, a deer in the headlights. So they're, they're blinded with technology, but then the car smashes into them and they're gone. And unfortunately, they want all of the old humans uh, created in the natural way uh, that has been throughout history and bring these new humans that are engineered in a lab and then they're being they're being birthed right now they got black eyes their iqs are 40 percent less than the a regular baby's eye a regular baby's intelligence now how do you can I ask how do you know this have you seen examples of this where have you seen this yeah the scientific articles are coming out and mothers you can find some scattered uh news articles about these new humans they don't know they're the new humans uh, if you go to the army mad scientists and over on the right hand side halfway down the page there's a search a search uh, option and you just type in new humans and you can see the article that i saw back i believe from 2018 when they did a transhumanism conference that i went to Thanks for that, Celeste. Yeah, it's important. I, look, I'm, I'm not naive. I know that this stuff is not going to be on Fox or CNN or the BBC. I'm well aware of that. Uh, but I, I always have to ask. I will go looking at that myself. I'm fascinated uh, by that. Question I've... Because I, I believe you are right. I believe that there is a depopulation agenda. I'm, I'm now convinced of it. Something I can't get my head around, and maybe we'll... We'll kind of wrap it up with this. It's been lovely having you back, by the way. Let's wrap it up with this. It'll take us a few minutes to kind of unpack this. Why was SARS-CoV-2 so mild for so many people? So it, that's interesting um, that you mentioned that because when I went to, in the very beginning, when it was being named, I went to that organization uh, or association. I can't remember. I get my organizations and that type of stuff mixed up, but it was the the, the people that named the SARS-CoV-2 and the, they said on it and that was confirmed by the World Economic Forum that the first waves of SARS-CoV-2 were meant to disable the body and the mind uh, and that's what they said they wanted to de disable the bodies and brains of everyone around the world and that actually was just confirmed with um, Dr. James Gorodonnell's presentation to NATO, where he said and, and confirmed that they want to disable both the body and the brain. That's what they want that, to do. Yeah, and that's going to ramp up in 2022. So we have to brace for impact on that. So, so you mean that they, some variant of it might be released it might be stronger because I'm I mean I don't know this for a fact because it was never confirmed but I believe I had it at the very beginning I know it wasn't the flu because of how badly I felt and because of the breathing issues so I'm pretty sure it might have been COVID-19 if COVID-19 exists and I've always worked on the basis that it does 
But I, it hasn't done, I'm pretty sure it hasn't done my brain any damage. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not any less curious or any less adaptable or any less bright than I was back then. Maybe I'm misunderstanding this. Is, is another variant, do you think, in the offing in the future that's going to be much, much more deadly for people? Uh, yes, but it's also uh, each variant is different, so it, w it will impact us. And obviously, the neuroweaponry part of it is intensifying this particular year. And we have no idea what variants will come out. But even from the past ones, it was designed as not only a biological weapon, but a neuroweapon. Yeah. So for many people, it did take out their cognition, their ability to think. As a matter of fact, in every week, the World Economic Forum sends out a kind of like, what the, is their agenda for this week? And last week, they talked about that, I don't know, a third or a fourth of the world, the population, uh, the po world's population um, lost their cognition or diminished it uh, significantly. And that's interesting and if you're right, because because that's not something that would be very easily identifiable in people. It's not something that you would notice, uh, you know, unless you were very, very close to that person. And then if you were close to a person whose cognitive capacity was diminished by being infected by COVID, if you didn't know what Celeste Solem knows, well, you wouldn't know then. It wouldn't occur to you that the person is losing their cognitive capacity. That's very interesting, Celeste. We're, we're, we're nearly out of time. I wanted to ask you, just, just to clarify something, what you said about the children being born, um, kind of lesser human, a different kind of species of child being born. You said the eyes were black. Is that the colour of the actual eye of the child or is it a blackening underneath the eye? No, it's a blackening of the eye of itself. Of the eye itself. That's fascinating stuff, this, isn't it? And you know, I said this to you back in, in, in April or, or May of 2020. You're obviously very, very bright and you've, you know, you've held some responsible positions and you're an author and you're very articulate. So maybe I shouldn't say this, but I will because I think you'll take it in good spirit. You know that no matter how well you speak and no matter how sincere you are, the great majority of people, Celeste, they hear this and it goes right over their heads and they think, nah, Celeste should go and write for Hollywood because she'd be a fantastically wealthy writer. And I just don't know if we'll ever overcome that scepticism. That immediate, you know, people move immediately to dismissal and sometimes to ridicule. And you're a bright lady, you're a big girl, you know this. How do you overcome that? So I guess I'm really, because I do go to the primary documents, like, I, so yeah. I don't go to a newspaper, I don't go to a magazine. Um, I look in the science journals, I look at the documents, I watch go to military conferences. And so I'm very confident that the news that I get, and they provide documentation, and then it's confirmed. I don't, very rarely do I go out on a limb if I hear something the first time and go public with it. Um, it usually it's, it needs to be confirmed before I do that. I get a secondary source or all of a sudden, all of us, the journals are just like people, uh, you know, something's hot or trending this week and then something else is trending the next week 
And so then you know because there's multiple studies on it or whatever. So I'm very confident. So, if, you know, after that in 2020 when we met, the World Economic Forum called me out by name as a liar. Oh, that's and right. I remember they tried to, to claim that you, you'd never worked for FEMA and all of that well, nonsense. I remember that, I, I, yeah. Reuters is the one. Reuters that did that. That's right. Yeah. yeah. But World Economic Forum said, oh, no, this isn't the plan. But it was the plan. They gave no evidence. And it was their own work that they I was covering. You know, I yeah. showed it. I showed the URLs. I showed how people could go look at it themselves. And so well, the media uh, is wretched because so the World Economic Forum can say, oh, no, Celeste Solom is lying. And the media says, OK. Thank you very much. And, and, and that's one of the things I think that's been the, the media and how the media works. I think that has opened the eyes of many people in the last two years. It's ironic because I've been lecturing on how the media does what it does for years on this program. And it's finally dawning on people. Celeste, would you uh, do us a favour and come back on the program, if not late February, early, early March, to pick up more uh, of this because it's hugely important. I'll make sure it happens. We'll speak in the next day or two with your permission and we'll lock it in because um, it's important and I think you're a very important researcher. Folks, go to youtube.com, check out Celeste Solem, uh, pick up a copy of one of Celeste's books. Uh, you won't go wrong there. It's been great having you back, Celeste. Thanks it's for, for, for back, no, it's, it really is. It's a real honour. I don't know why it didn't happen sooner, but you know, I work alone. I do. I do this by myself. Produce it, edit it, and uh, I think sometimes out of sight is out of mind. But it's not the case because I keep an eye on your YouTube channel, so I know what you've been doing. So uh, no, it's it's been uh, it's been uh, uh, educational again. Uh, Godspeed to you, and um, I look forward to next time, which will be pretty soon. Celeste, thank you so much. Thank you, Richie. And look after yourself. Celeste Solem, live on uh, Tuesday's Richie Allen Show, live from Salford. Terrific. Go to YouTube.com, look for Celeste Solem and watch her presentations or presentations there. Uh, you will not go far wrong, thanks to her. And thanks to Tony Gosling for joining me in the first hour. Terrific chat with Tony, as ever. It's a phone-in tomorrow, and I'll ask you, if you did phone in to the couple of very quick, Phone-in. We had a couple of back-to-back phone-ins before Christmas. Uh, let's give other people a chance. I say that because it always works out, you know. Uh, if you've never called the programme uh, before, do it tomorrow. All the details will be on my website, richieallen.co.uk, and I will put them, or Raj will put them on Facebook. That is the phone number and the Skype thing to, uh, to phone in. We'll have a good chat, and we'll chat about where this is going next. I'll be uh, fascinated to hear your opinions as to where uh, this is going next. I've been Richie Allen. You've been listening to The Richie Allen Show, which is live from Salford Monday to Thursday at 5 to 7. Nice to be back this week. It really is. Thanks for all your comments too on the website. Speak tomorrow. Look after yourselves and one another. Until tomorrow at 5. Bye now. Bye now.